Come, let us sing for joy in the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Good morning. Um, it's my pleasure to be with you this morning, and I bring greetings from uh, your friends up the road in the hills uh, in St Mungo's in Balerno, and I'm just wondering how wet it is out there. It's so wet in town. Um, I have a question. Is Mark back from the toilet yet? <laughs> so ruins my start. Um, <laughs> why do we do it? Why do we do what we do Sunday after Sunday? Why do we set up all that kit? Why do we plug in all those cables? Why do people agonize up on the desks with uh, slide after slide and gadget after gadget? Why are churches across the, the UK have choirs that are doing the same thing but in different ways without as many gadgets? Why do we do it? Why do we cause ourselves so much stress and anxiety? We sing about a thousand songs a year, I've worked out in St Mungo's. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? And this morning, the psalm that we're going to look at in this whole context of thinking about the, the, sort of, the proclamatory aspect of sung worship, using this psalm, I want us to remind ourselves of why we do it. Why do we do it? Well, actually, fundamentally and basically, we do it because we're commanded to worship God. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and with songs. From the start, and very much in contrast to the worship that you looked at last week, where you were thinking more about the, the morning in Psalms and how you know, not all worship is meant to be hanging from the chandeliers. This morning, there is no doubt that this is talking about loud worship. There's even a sense uh, that the translation of the Hebrew doesn't even capture how loud and how strong this worship would have been. I mean, sometimes, you know, you come into church in the morning, there's sound checking, and you think it's loud, and you walk around with your fingers in your ears. I think that's probably the loudness that they were talking about in this psalm. Um, the, the translation that is done in the message says, come let's shout praises to God, raise the roof of, for the rock that saved us. Now, how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel, yay, that's a great idea? Or does it make you feel, oh no, please don't make me stand up and dance and wave my arms about? Some of you are thinking, I want to leave now. This is why Dave's brought her in, so she can tell us that we're meant to be dancing and not upset anybody. Um, no, that's, that's not... 
That's not why I'm here. But there's no doubt, I don't know if we've got any English teachers in the room, um, but there's no doubt there's a lot of doing words. There's a lot of verbs in the first two verses of this psalm. Come, let us sing. Come, let us shout. Come before him, extol him. It's very difficult to read that and not imagine there is physicality involved in that. And that can be a very uncomfortable thing when we hear that. Um, I'm always amused. In our liturgy at St. Mungo's, we've got this statement that says, um, our, and in our hearts, we will dance for joy. Now, I think that is brilliant. That is written probably by a Scottish person. <laughs> in our hearts, we will dance for joy because then my body doesn't need to do anything at all. Um, now, I, I think this is not about, however, that aspect, that, that to sing and to worship means that we must all be doing extreme things. But the question, and what Malcolm always used to say to us as a church in the early days was, how is it he could sit at a church Cayley and have all these people, hey, yee-haw, you know, and dancing, and, and watching the rugby would be another example, where, where people express themselves, but when they came into church, that, seemed, that aspect of themselves seemed to go. And so I hold that intention. Some of you are thinking it's fine for the extroverts. So some of you are thinking it'd be great if you had extrovert services and introvert services, because I would come to you know, the one that's not requiring so much of me. But the fact is, we're called to worship like this. And the joining of the dots, I think, requires us to understand why. Why are we called to worship like that? You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he writes about this passage, he says, here they are overfull as it were, wanting to give utterance. So there's a sense that in some way, for some reason, these people are so full of something of God that it has to come out. And what is that? Now, I want to be honest with you at the start, because I think some of you will start to relax when I tell you this story, is my background is uh, Church of Scotland, the uh, Tron in Glasgow, Sandyford Henderson, teaching churches, big hymns, God, you know, I have come from that background. And the only reason, and the one and only reason I ended up at St. Mungo's was because there were boys at St. Mungo's. So this is 35 years ago. That, you know, I'm, I'm in second year of ordination training, and people ask you, you know, well, how did you, why did you make the jump from the Church of Scotland to the Episcopal Church? And because it's ordination stuff, you have to be honest. So I'm like, boys, I, I moved because of boys. So I moved to St. Mungo's. And Malcolm came just after I'd arrived, and I had never heard anybody preach like Malcolm. I'd been with some amazing preachers, and I'm so grateful for that, because there's so much of, of what I have is in me from those great preachers when I was in the Church of Scotland. But Malcolm spoke to my heart as well as my head, and I remember thinking, I want to stay here, until he started modernizing the worship. And then I'm like, nah, it's not good. It's not good. So I want you to relax in the knowledge that I've come through that path, and my journey is now recognizing that worship comes when we understand what God is like, when we've experienced his power in, his, in, in our lives. Worship is something that's not meant to happen through gritted teeth. We can't measure the quality of worship by the number of hands in the air. But we do. We, we, we can't measure worship. It is a response to God. But what is it a response to? Why is there this extravagant response that we see in this psalm? And we get the explanation. 
Well, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. What that, that, these verses are saying, and this is not just about the visible creation here. What this verse is saying is that God is over all and in all. And the imagery of the mountains, the commentators tell us, relates to the fact that that's where the Greek gods were thought to reside. There's a sort of imagery of, 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 of gods that resided in the mountains. Well, our God is above all of that. And when we talk about the sea in Scripture, the sea carries this imagery of the dark places, the deepest, darkest places. The places that Ephesians, we read Paul saying, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, the powers, the evil powers. Well, when we talk about the sea, that's the imagery that's in there. And so these verses are saying our God is not a small God. We know that. Big God. If you just go back to the, the first bit, thanks. The rock of our salvation. Now, the imagery here, and this psalm would have been written as a celebration of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the time when the people were rescued from Egypt. So a huge celebration, I mean, a huge rescue, a massive rescue, a miraculous rescue. But the whisper forward is, that's the rescue of Jesus for us, our salvation. Why do we sing? Why do we praise? Because of what Christ has done. The thanksgiving that comes from us is a response to God. Now, it's interesting this morning because we're taking communion. We're having communion, the Eucharist. Now, my journey of training for ordination has been truly revelatory in many moments. Um, when you've come from churches like St. Mungo's and from uh, P's and G's, there are some things that you just don't know about when you go into more formal Episcopalian things. And Eucharist, so I've always called it the communion, but this is the Eucharist, from the word Eucharista, which means thanksgiving. Now, I think, and it could just be me, partly with my Church of Scotland background, where the Eucharist or the communion only happened maybe twice a year, I have not appreciated the huge significance of what we do when we come to take the bread and the wine. The, the massive significance. It's not about Jesus dying on the cross, although it is that. It's not about feeling sorry and forgiveness, although it is that. It's, it's so much bigger. And that's the, the package that's here. Come let us sing for joy to the Lord is about the whole of what God has done for us. And I think it is significant that this morning, I'm, I'm so glad this is happening this morning because sometimes, especially in our styles of churches, we, we kind of measure things by the sung worship, if you like. That's, that's our focus or our teaching. But, but the thing I've realized, and bizarrely, it was in the last week, reading a chapter from Rowan Williams' book, Being Christian, he has a chapter on the Eucharist, and it's incredibly powerful because what it says is, this is the gift of God to the church, and it's the whole. Now, sometimes we think, and people think of us as the ones that have the Holy Spirit side. Is that a fair enough comment? I have lost count of the number of people who, as soon as they meet me and I say I come from St. Mungo's, they go, oh, you're from the Happy Clappy Church. I hate to think what would happen if I used similar language towards their particular style. We do not have the, we are not the church that only has the Holy Spirit. And what's happening when the church comes, and I mean the church with a capital C, to take the blood and the, the, the bread and the wine, the blood and the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is coming into us. 
And I hadn't got this at all until I'd read it. This bit in Rome Williams, I'm like, wow. Every time. And most churches, most Episco- all Episcopal churches, this is the center of their service. But huge numbers of people would not be thinking, the Holy Spirit is coming into me as I take this bread and this wine, and I am being transformed. And that's where the thanksgiving comes in. And I think the difficulty is we think of the churches so much in boxes. We've lost sight of that. And, and when this lecture was happening, we were talking about this chapter, I just put my hand up and said, why do people in so many churches not know this? Why has nobody ever told them of what is happening when the Eucharist... Now, lots of people will have been told, but many have, because I've not clocked it. And so there's so much thanksgiving and power. And what we're doing this morning is we're singing in worship, and then we're coming and we're receiving all in worship. Why? Because God is a great big God. I mean, that children's song probably cracked it, basically. There's few songs that have cracked it more than that. Our God is a great big God, but he holds us in his hands. And that's the thanksgiving. He's a great big God. Oh, I don't want to hear about a great big distant God. Yeah, but he's a great big God who holds us in his hands. And that's what you see the flow here in this psalm. Big God, big God. Bow down in worship. Why am I bowing down in worship? Because God is holding me close and pulling me close. And I am one of his sheep. I am the flock of his hand. I am protected. And when it says that God is the rock of our salvation. It's not the same imagery as Dave was talking about earlier of of standing on secure ground. The rock imagery is about protection, that God is for us. It's a proactive protection of God looking after us and caring for us. That's why we worship big God who holds us, who's given us all of this. So is God some insecure being that he requires this worship? That's the next question about worship. So we've said why we worship, because God is a very big God. But why, why does God need worship? When did you last take a picture of something that you really loved? Or how many of you have got, let's say, grandchildren or extra super pets, cute pets? You can, either or. Extra super, see, there we go. Grandchildren or super cute, or children, or, you know, anything. Or... What do you do when you take the photo? What's the first thing you want to do when you have taken a gorgeous photograph that's really, really cute? Show it to someone. I mean, one of my team, one of my vets, got a new dog last night um, and had driven a long way to get the dog. I have already had three photographs of said dog sent to me by by phone. He's so excited about the dog. Look how lovely the dog is. The dog is amazing. Look, the dog sitting on the settee. To which I texted, that's pretty quick, considering you've had it for three hours and you weren't going to let it on the settee. So, <laughs> now, that is a natural human response. We don't have to be taught to do that. You see an amazing sunset. I saw an amazing sunset going over to Dundee the other week. And I just wanted somebody there to tell. And C.S. Lewis, I think, has, has absolutely cracked this. And I possibly have a slide on this one, Alison, I think, if memory serves me right. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Now, it's quite ye olde language, but I think he's cracked it. We worship not because God needs it, but because it's what completes our response. It comes out, and it's part of the circle of, oh, wow, 
oh, worship. That cycle. Now, what we're going to do next is, just to give Alison a heads up that we're heading in that direction, I'm going to show you a film clip. Now, it's five minutes long. I don't usually use clips that are quite as long as this. I just want you to watch it and see what you think. There are two comments. The first is, watch the piano player about two-thirds of the way through. And the second comment is, within this context, the, the chap who's in it says, oh, God, just goes, oh, God. Now, forgive him, but equally, in the context of what's going on, I actually don't think he's blaspheming. I think there's something going on. So I just want you to watch this, and then I'm going to pull a few thoughts out of it from this film clip. I mean, I've watched that about 40 times now. And I still get the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. There's something happens in that room. And the reason I think it's really interesting is the way it, it sort of builds up. Because they start off as a group of people who are there to sing a musical, to get money, and to, to arrange for this thing to be filmed. But they end up as a community of what I would call, and what lots of people who comment on that, worshippers. There's something that happens. Now, some of it has to do about the words. I don't know if you noticed the words for the song. It's a redemption song. It's the same as Les Mis. I mean, you know, if you go and see Les Mis, it's a redemption musical. And the thing I want to suggest to you, you know, there's so many things I could have put up. I could have put up a powerful Bethel session. I could have put a, an amazing choir or tesi. You know, I could have, there's so many things I could have used. But I use that because sometimes I think we think too much in our box. So we think too much about church. And I think that sometimes we think we have to bring people in and teach them how to be worshippers. And I'd like to suggest to us this morning that we don't. We're built to be worshippers. All of us, within ourselves, have been designed and created to be worshippers. And there's, it was G.K. Chesterton, somebody told me that after the, the early service, it was G.K. Chesterton who pointed out that you know, if people don't believe in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. If people don't worship God, they don't worship nothing, they worship anything. Worship comes out, we see it all around us. But we shouldn't limit it to think that we have to train people. People are designed, and we are designed, it's our innate desire. And the thing that happened in that room was the creation of community. You know, you, you could see Hugh Jackman, big, you know, big important singer, and the wee young chap who's been called in to sing, imagine that, and he's high-fiving him, and you can see the community that's building. And I think this is the important, perhaps, message. This is not what came out when I talked to St. Mungo's. Um, it went a different way, but there's something about community, and I'm using worship with a capital W, whether it's sung worship, Eucharist, choirs, you name it. Let's not think in a box. There's something about worship that should create and does create and can create the community that people are desperately seeking in our world. They're seeking it on Facebook, on Instagram, or whatever what's it, things that people do on their phones. They're seeking it all around the place. And yet we're seeing an increasingly fragmented society. I would suggest to you that God has actually created us in his amazing way that he does these things, that not only do we get our hearts strengthened and our, our faith renewed and healed and set up when we come to worship, but we also get the relationships that people are seeking as we come to worship together. And I think as a church, so I, I, I find your position quite significant, your geographical position quite significant in the center of this city. 
And I think it's significant that you have people coming in on Saturday nights and being fed who are very much not in the situations that we are in. This, this, this church is, has got things happening around. There's something significant, and there's something significant about the power of community. But the other thing I want you to think about, or I would like one to think about, us to think about, anybody to think about, this psalm is one of what's called the Malak psalms in Scripture. Now, I didn't know this until I read a book on it, but apparently it is. It's the Malak psalms. And these psalms within the book of Psalms, there's only about five or six of them, and they are all psalms that talk about this is what God is like. Now, you talked last week about the Psalms of Lament. You've talked about all sorts of different ways that Psalms are used. But these Psalms are, our God is a great God. This is the King above all kings. The, the power is there. The reason I think that's significant is they are the songs that were being sung in a society that was not dissimilar to the situation we find ourselves now in. A pluralistic society. Increasingly, it's difficult for churches to talk about their faith, Christians to talk about their faith, but you are positioned geographically in center of this city. And I believe what we sing and what we say and how we worship and how we commune together speaks great power in the heavenly realms, however you want to interpret that. There is something that happens when you sing worthy, worthy, holy, holy, power, power. And it's the same idea as these Malak Psalms. You are making a statement in the center of Edinburgh that God is on his throne and all will be well with the world. And every Sunday that you sing these songs, that's what you're doing. And every Sunday that you preach the word, that's what you're doing. And you might think nothing is happening. But I have two friends who've been praying around Edinburgh for a while. They, they pray around the city centre, and two, two folks, not brilliant prayers, you know, probably chat more than they pray, not really ever felt they're doing very much, but it's good to pray, so kind of walk around and walk together and they're praying. They've done it for years. The other day they were praying in the centre on one street together, not very efficiently, I suspect, but there they were praying, and they heard this voice behind them, and it was a, a drunk, a young drunk lad, and so they were like, right, we need to get out of here, and started to get away. And this drunk lad's got a bottle in one pocket, a book in the other pocket, and he goes, the Holy Spirit is flowing down this road. The See the water. The Holy Spirit is flowing down this road. Now, there's not many drunk people that say that sort of thing. And they were walking away, and then he goes to them, come back, come back, come back. I'm going away. Come back, come back. The Holy Spirit is flowing down this road. Now, I offer that to you without answer. Coincidence, possibly? Probably not, in my opinion. They don't think they're doing very much because they're just praying and kind of talking. We sometimes think we're not doing very much because we do this every week and actually we, you know, people aren't really interested and we can't get our friends to come to church. It's more than that. You are making a statement about the power of God to the heavenly realms every time you do this. And things happen that we cannot see. And I want to encourage you this morning to think bigger to never think that we're just going to church or we're just singing a song. And Mark, to never think that these songs don't matter and that the words are terribly powerful and terribly important. That's why we, we look at the hymns this morning at nine o'clock. But you know that there are worship songs that carry that power as well. And we must use, or we can use the whole package. 
But I want to encourage you this morning. God is so much bigger than we ever imagine. But what we are doing is so much more significant than we think we are when we come and we worship God and we proclaim his name. And some days we'll feel not like doing it and other days we will. But that's why we're in community. And my final verse to leave you with, if, if I haven't convinced you that this is what we're here for, is the very familiar verse in 1 Peter 2. And it's in uh, it's verse 9. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Declare, P's and G's, declare. That's what you're doing to the church and the Episcopal church needs you for that too. But the world needs to hear it. The one who called you from darkness into his wonderful light. Let's pray. And while I'm praying, if the band could come up.